Shri Krishna Shaitanya Prabhunichananda Siyadveta Giridhar Srivasani Gauravattarana So a little discussion on the fifth verse. As we've said many times, the Sikhsastika is a is an interesting presentation by the Supreme Lord himself come as a per- perfect example of uh, uh, devotional service by following in the footsteps of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu under the direction of the spiritual master, uh, one attains the highest level of, of self-realization. These verses of Saksastika give us that a progressive roadmap for our advancement in spiritual life through the various stages of uh, devotional practice. So now we're talking about extremely advanced stage, a sakti that follows ruchi. Ruchi is a taste. We receive some some true appreciation for spiritual activities. After we become steady in our practice, the next stage is that we we actually begin to to relish the practice itself. What it was that we read a couple weeks ago, what was once medicine now becomes our foodstuffs, our, su- our sustenance. So the, the regimentality of, of regulated devotional life and the, the somewhat difficult task that often comes with restraining the mind and senses, that begins to become inconsequential in our spiritual life. It becomes inconsequential in our, in our practice. Uh, the struggle is gone. And there's truly an appreciation for the practices of devotional life. Hearing, chanting, shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam, padasevanam, remembering, off worshipping the lotus feet. So all the nine limbs of devotional practice become much easier and they start to give a, there's a real relish there. That stage is called ruchi and that corresponds to the fourth verse of Sri Shiksasikam, where Lord Chaitanya says that he has no, he's, he's the sadika. Sadika means the practitioner of spiritual life. The sadika has risen above the stage of even having material desire. I have no desire to accumulate wealth. It's not that there's an artificial imposition on the mind which may have been there early in, earlier in our practice of devotional life. You understand? There's some natural tendency in order to purify ourselves. We have to refrain from what we're accustomed to in enjoyment. The stage of ruchi, those desires for exploitive enjoyment cease altogether. I have no desire to accumulate wealth. I don't want any number of followers. No attachment to, to beautiful women. Not even caring whether the influence of the environment forces me to take birth again or not. Those things become inconsequential because there's a true taste for spiritual relationship with Krishna spiritual enjoyment. This fifth verse, Nainanda Tanujakinkara, 
Ainanda tenu jikinkaram patitam mam vishame bavambudao, kripaya tavapada pankaja, stitaduli sadri samvachintaya. Aya is O, Nanda, Ayananda Tanuja. Tanuja means son. Ayananda Tanuja. That's Krishna. Krishna's father is Nanda Maharaj in his original form, in his original uh, transcendental playgrounds. Ayananda Tanuja, O son of Maharaj Nanda. So now we're recognizing Krishna in his most intimate display of personality. We're recognizing the Supreme Lord independent, independent of his opulence, his feature of opulence. The people in the highest realm of spiritual enjoyment with the Lord don't relate with the Lord as master and servant. The sense of awe and reverence does not exist on that plane. On that plane of spiritual exchange, the exchange is one simply based on love. There are other conceptions and relationships with the Supreme Lord, but those concepts basically center on an understanding of the Supreme Lord's supreme position. There's some awe and reverence there. So there's always bowing down. There's always obeisance. There's always great respect. There's always a sense of, of inferiority because there's the Supreme Lord and there's ourselves. On the highest level, though, those feelings are become secondary. And they're not even noticed at all. These pure devotees who associate with the Lord do so purely out of love, purely out of a loving relationship. That's what this verse is talking about. Asakti, attachment. Attachment to the Supreme Lord as the son of Nanda Maharaj. Ainanda Tanuja Kinkaram. Kinkaram, minion. I'm your minion. I'm subordinate. But my subordination is in desiring to enter into that plane of spiritual exchange. Because Lord Chaitanya is mentioning Nanda Maharaj. Patitam, fallen, mom, me, visite, frightful, bhava, Abu Dao, sea of worldly life. How can I enter into that plane of spiritual exchange when I'm here on this plane drowning in the ocean of material existence? That's Lord Chaitanya's question here. Patitam mam vishame bhavam budao. I'm in this frightful sea of material existence. What's the possibility of me even understanding that highest plane of love? It's not possible. Unless what? What's the hope? The hope in this verse? Kripaya tavapada pankaja. That word kripaya. Kripa. 
Kripa is mercy. Kripaya tavapada pankaja. The mercy of your lotus feet. If I can receive some of that mercy, then there's some hope. There's some hope that I can enter into that higher plane of understanding. And we notice that Lord Chaitanya, he's not aspiring to any particular position at this point. That position will naturally manifest at a higher stage of advancement in devotional practice. At this stage, the aspiration is there, though. And the aspiration is, let me become a particle in that spiritual plane of existence. Free me from this ocean. Let's cut off all ties. Pick me up. Without your mercy, there's no hope for me. I'm still here in this ocean of suffering. So you pick me up and place me in that plane of spiritual understanding. O son of Maharaj Nanda, hmm. I'm your minion. Fallen into Maya's frightful sea, please considering me as a dust particle at your lotus feet. Uh, I'll just read one thing from this uh, explanation, uh, which is quite interesting. Further evidence of the Sadhika's Siddha Deha. Sadhika is ourself, the practitioner. Siddha Deha is perfection, perfectional platform, our true existence. Now tonight, as we go over the introduction to Bhagavad Gita, the consciousness is there. Lord Chaitanya is talking here about a consciousness that has been completely cleansed. And in completely cleansing the consciousness, our true spiritual existence becomes manifest in the heart. Further evidence of the sadhikas, the practitioner, Siddhadeya, spiritual perfection, is glimpsed and ultimately realized as a result of Namasankirtan. As a result of Namasankirtan is given by Sri Krishna in his speech to Uddhava. Uddhava is a dear devotee of Lord Krishna in friendship. And there is another. We study Bhagavad Gita, wherein Krishna is speaking Instruction to Arjuna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. Also you'll find in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, another Gita, wherein Krishna gives a little bit more intimate spiritual instruction to his dear friend Uddhava. Krishna has finished his pastimes in the 10th canto and he is ready to move on. He's ready to leave this universe. His pastimes have completed. He's accomplished what the demigods prayed to him for. He's given enlightenment to the world, except for one group of his pure devotees. In order to convey the message, the spiritual knowledge, because that's the real significance. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Yada, Yada, He Dharma Sha. When Dharma's lost, I come. There's a group of sages in the Himalayas and Krishna hasn't had an opportunity to go there. But his time is now, his time is finished with his pastimes. So he still wants to convey this knowledge to that, those great devotees there. So he requests Uddhava, 
Uddhava, you can imagine the, the, the state of mind that Uddhava's in. He's been associated with Krishna for decades now, very intimately. And Krishna's leaving and he knows it. And he's saying, take me with you. Don't leave me here in this world. You're leaving. i got to go with you. I'm not going to be happy anywhere else. I can't be happy if I'm not seeing you daily. I can't be happy if I'm not seeing you hourly. I can't be happy if I'm not seeing you at every moment. That's his mentality. Krishna says, no, you need to do this for me. And this is the interesting thing of our devotional service. That's the self-sacrifice that Krishna asks. It's the self-sacrifice that the spiritual master asks. Please, you do this service for me. And in that doing that service, our love is shown. He asks Uddhava to stay and he gives Uddhava instructions in spiritual life. In the 11th canto, those instructions are relayed. That section of the Srimad Bhagavatam is called the Uddhava Gita. It's very interesting. And I'm thinking that we, we will study that uh, after we finish with the Bhagavad Gita one more time. We'll then go to the Uddhava Gita and study those instructions. What is the difference between the two? Uddhava's relationship with Krishna is a little bit more intimate. These instructions in the 11th canto, the Uddhava Gita, are a little bit more detailed a little bit beyond the preliminaries that Krishna gave to Arjuna on the battlefield. Another, another grade up, I guess, is what you say. Uh, therefore, is it longer, or is it more full of volumes? I think in volume, uh, it, it may be a little bit more. I'd have to see. It's, it's quite a few chapters of the 11th canto. Now, is it 18 chapters? I'm not sure. How many verses is is it? I don't know. I believe it's a little bit more than Bhagavad Gita in, in verses. And yet it came before Gita. No, after. This is the end of Krishna's appearance. Right at the very end, when Krishna's about to leave, he instructs Uddhava in the Uddhava Gita. After the oh. battlefield. Oh, okay. He's just winding up his pastimes oh, when he speaks right. Uddhava Gita. And this is one of the instructions uh, that in relation to this verse. Just as a, as a diseased eye treated with medicinal ointment will gradually see more clearly, similarly, a conscious living entity, the seer, that's ourselves, when purified by hearing and chanting about my virtues, will gradually be able to see more clearly the underlying reality. So there, there is a reality of existence here that we can't penetrate if we're completely absorbed in trying to enjoy on this plane. But once we advance spiritually, we can actually perceive the deeper reality of existence here in the material world. It is, it yes. Like, you know, it's, uh, all these yeah. levels, all this purification of consciousness is something that we aspire to. Mm -hmm. It's something that happens to us. The environment, there's nothing in the environment that is going to give us that experience. That experience comes 
through the mercy of the Supreme Lord, like Lord Chaitanya's praying here, Kripa, his Kripa, his unlimited mercy, coming through disciplic succession from the Lord himself, pure transcendental knowledge, unadulterated, not tinged by empiric speculation. Uh, there's no amount of scientific research, no amount of philosophical study, contemplation, no amount of, of yogic practice and mystic uh, mysticism. None of, no amount of any of those things that we can endeavor for will give us pure love for the Supreme Lord. It's truly causeless. But there is a cause. The cause is the spiritual master. The effect of his instruction upon our life, that's the cause. As we take up that instruction and engage in pleasing him, then advancement comes. Uh, every morning we chant uh, prayers to the spiritual master. In the last prayer, the eighth prayer, Yasha Prashadad Bhagavat Prashadad. By the mercy of the spiritual master, one can make all advancement in, in transcendental life, spiritual life. Without his mercy, no one can make any advancement. Everything that we know about spiritual life comes through the mercy of his agent. And you even look at all the other religions. Of course, we're studying, we're studying that knowledge which is coming directly from the Lord as manifest as his devotee, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is the highest conception available, which is being distributed freely, independent of our lack of qualification. We've discussed this before. It's a special dispensation. When Sri Chaitanya comes, we can enter into these highest, highest levels of understa spiritual understanding understanding that's beyond beyond any conception of the Supreme Lord uh, that's available in most conventional knowledge coming through other saints and sages. It's a very, very special gift. This is a very high level we're speaking of here, a sakti, this attachment uh, to our true spiritual identity. And this verse is speaking to that high level, aspiring to that high level. Lord Chaitanya is giving us some indication to aspire to that high, high level. That's what we need to keep. We need to keep our eyes on the objective of our practice. The objective of this devotional practice is to reach the highest stage of spiritual awareness of our spiritual, our identity in relationship with Krishna. Any questions? Yeah, I just have a question about the uh, uh, Bhagavatam in relationship to the Bhagavad Gita in terms of time. Because mm -hmm. when you said what you just said about that came after the Bhagavad Gita, that it's not, I'm not gelling it with my the time frame that's going on. I thought that the that the uh, Bhagavatam was written far, much further back than than the Gita. And the, and the Gita was the most, and that that, that incident at Kurukshetra was the most recent of all Krishna's appearances. So I'm a little confused on that. Now, Bhagavatam is simply a recounting of the history. All right? In Bhagavatam, Bhagavatam is the Bhagavat Purana. Purana means a, histor 
a recounting of historical incidents, spiritual spiritual incidents in time, to to help us understand the highest concept of the Vedas, the Vedanta Sutra. Uh-huh. So that's why Srimad Bhagavatam is called the mature. It's the mature commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, the Brahma Sutra. Right. All right. So the historical incidents relayed in the Srimad Bhagavatam cover various periods of time. It's not even chronological. Although there seems to be a, a tinge of chronology there in the Bhagavatam, uh-huh. it's not the, the incidents aren't necessarily in chronological order that are being relayed in the Srimad Bhagavatam. So the incident of Krishna instructing Uddhava yeah. that's, that's given in the 11th canto, right. that history is of the period at the end of Krishna's appearance. Krishna was here for 125 years, and at the end of that period, he wrapped up his pastimes. Prior to his departure, he spoke the Uddhava Gita. Now you're also going to find in, in Srimad Bhagavatam incidents of, of Prahlad Maharaj that happened many, 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 many kalpas ago. All right? They happened, they happened in, in, well, in the ages of different Manus. And they may have even happened in other universes. Not necessarily in this day of Brahma, maybe in other days of Brahma. Okay, so Dhruva Maharaj, the, the, you've read in the, in the Bhagavatam, you know, the, the story of Dhruva Maharaj. Yeah. Now this happened during the reign of Swayambhuva Mahanu, which is the first Manu in this day of Brahma. But see, these are cyclic histories. They happen again and again. Yeah. So even that's why sometimes you'll find discrepancies between a pastime and the commentary given by one great sage on that section and another. They're seeing different days of Brahma when these pastimes happen. Yeah. Or they're seeing different displays of these pastimes that happen in different universes. So that there may be some slight discrepancies in the way the pastimes were enacted. The personalities are different. Indra's changed every uh, every 71 cycles. There's a new Indra, a king of heaven. They're all distinct, separate, different individuals who hold that post. Indra is a post. It's not a person. Brahma is a post. It's not a person. Shiva falls into his own special place. <laughs> makes sense? It makes sense. I, I, I don't know how clear it really is for me. You, you made it as clear as you could. I just, you know. Uh, I understand Srimad Bhagavatam is simply a relaying of historical incidents and, and how those incidents spiritually affected individuals. Yeah. What we want is what we don't... The chronology... And all the details of that chronology, they're interesting. It's interesting to understand how the Lord's creation works. What's truly more interesting and more beneficial for our life is what's this story telling and how can, what can I take from it 
to help me in my spiritual practice? What do I need to learn from what Dhruva learned? What do I need to learn from how Pallad Maharaj was protected by the Supreme Lord from his demoniac father? Yeah, right. That's what's significant. What am I to learn by Lord Ramachandra's appearance? The Lord coming as the as as the as the topmost Kshatriya leader. What how's that affect? And his devotees, Hanuman, Lakshman, Sita. Yeah. What am I to learn? But the prime learning that we receive is, is in the tenth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. After we've covered all the preliminary knowledge of Srimad Bhagavatam and we come to the platform of the tenth canto, then that's, that's extremely significant. Because then, the way that Krishna relates with his topmost devotees, that's what's, what really we want to we wanted to develop an attraction for that. Right. Interesting. So we'll cover a little bit of the introduction after we left off. This introduction to Bhagavad Gita is so wonderful. Uh, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami's introduction gives us such a such a deep insight into the, the mystery of Bhagavad Gita. We touched on a few things last week. It's not practical. I mean, we could just read it together, paragraph by paragraph, but I've kind of gone through it and, and just kind of highlighted some areas I, I want to bring out. Basically, Srila Prabhupada has explained the different relationships that one can have with the Supreme Lord. One in the passive mode, one in the active, one as a friend, a parent, and a conjugal lover. He's given us a glimpse of what our topmost spiritual aspiration is, is a relationship with the Supreme Lord in one of those five primary loving exchanges. Then, Bhaktivedanta Swami goes on to explain what is the the position of the instructor of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna. He does that in the uh, fifth page, where he uses Arjuna, Arjuna's comments regarding Krishna, from the tenth chapter, Param Brahma, Param Dhamma, Pavitram, Paramam, Bhavam, Purusham, Sasvatam, Divyam, Adideva, Majam, Vibhum. The supreme position of the Lord is, is revealed. We need to know we're hearing not just some theistic presentation by, by anybody. We're hearing from the supreme Lord himself, and these are his characteristics, Param Brahma, Param Dhamma. Therefore, Bhagavad Gita should be taken up in a spirit of devotion. One should not think that he is equal to Krishna, nor should he think that Krishna is an ordinary personality. So all this has been established by, by the author. Or even a very great personality. We're talking about God here. He's the one that's speaking. Prabhupada goes on to say, if we're going to study Bhagavad Gita, if you're going to get anything out of this text, then you have to accept this, at least theoretically, at least theor- in theory, let's accept that this 
is instruction coming directly from God. If we're going to get anything out of it, if you take it as anything less than instruct the fact that Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, your study of Bhagavad Gita will not truly be of any spiritual benefit, although there will be benefit there seeing it in its historical perspective, looking at it as a moral presentation, seeing some knowledge about spirit. But if you really want to get the heart of Bhagavad Gita, you want to get to a true understanding of what is meant in Bhagavad Gita for your spiritual enlightenment, if you want that, then at least theoretically, let's accept Krishna as God. Begin there if you want to understand. Even if, even if you can't understand it's God, in theory, think that it's God. Then, with that, you can advance in the thesis. The theory that this is spoken by God, then you can go deeper into an understanding of what's being presented. Unless one reads the Bhagavad Gita in a submissive spirit, this is the end of that paragraph, it is very difficult to understand Bhagavad Gita because it is a great mystery. It's an open mystery, but unless we come into it with a little faith, unless we have the faith as the key to unlock the secrets, it's just going to be like any other study. It's not really going to be a benefit. Of course, we know that there'll be always some benefit because this is Krishna. And even those that don't recognize it's Krishna will be benefited. And eventually they'll develop, it's called Sukriti. Sukriti is piety, pious result, but not normal piety. Normal piety would be when I see an old lady trying to walk across the road I give her my hand and I help her across the road so she doesn't get hit by a Mack truck. That's some piety. Which means in my old age, maybe somebody will help me across the road so I'm not hit. Karmic activity. Sukriti is also there in a permanent sense. In the material world, it's called karma. There's good karma and there's bad karma. If I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. But spiritual sukriti comes due to the mercy of Krishna's pure devotees. Krishna's devotees give us a different kind of piety. When they give us some prasadam, we may not even know what it is because they've offered it to the Supreme Lord with love and devotion. When I take it, their spiritual benefit. When I hear them chanting, when I read the books, or at least take the books, or just give some a donation, I may not even know that this is for a devotee, or that this is for Krishna. So that kind of spiritual sukriti, that is permanently accumulated by the souls and material existence, and it eventually will give us a fruit of true faith in the topmost platform of spiritual knowledge. Aishnata Sukriti. Aishnata. Meaning, I don't even know. I don't even know that I'm doing something that's going to be for my spiritual well-being. I may even just see a pure... Wow, just seeing a pure devotee? The Srimad Bhagavatam says... 
just seeing a pure devotee, a moment's association with a pure devotee gives us, is enough to liberate you from material existence. And a moment, according to Bhagavatam, one eleventh of a second. That's a moment. Or a seventh. It's a seventh or an eleventh. I'd have to look it up. It's a little piece <laughs> of a, a second. <laughs> that moment association with a pure devotee gives volumes of, of piety. And what's Krishna say about that in Bhagavad Gita? It's never lost. I carry what they have. I preserve it. That's never lost. Whatever advancement we make in spiritual devotional life this time, next time we take it up, we take it up from that point. And we notice that. Sometimes people come to devotional service and right out of the gate they're chanting, they're, they're fully engaged. Bhairi Krishna, I heard him at the initiation, he said, so I went to the Hare Krishna temple and my background, of course, in this life was coming from the 60s, so we had a certain background. And I was looking, and they're, they're, they're bowing to a plant. I'm like, wow, that's strange. They're walking around the plant. And then he said, but then as I did it, I realized, yes, I've, been do I've done this many times. This is a practice I'm aware of. It came to him. He understood, yes, there is some significance. There is spiritual significance in it. And it immediately dawned on him, and I've, I know that spiritual significance. Now, in this body, he may have known the, not known the particulars yet, he just walked in the door, but the practice is taken up from that platform. That little bit of faith has to be there. That's the key to unlocking the secret. And study of Bhagavad Gita, independent of that, will give some benefit, especially if you're reading a version from a pure devotee, like, what we're benefited with here, Bhagavad Gita as it is. At the end of the next paragraph, it says, Our existence is eternal. We're eternal. Never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kings. Uh, what is it? Nor in the future shall any of us Yes. Our existence is eternal, but somehow or other we are put into a sat. So we all know this term, sat chit ananda. Eternity, knowledge, and bliss. Satchit Ananda. So here, asat. Asat refers to that which does not exist. Eternity exists for eternity. In this material world, everything is asat. It's not eternal. It comes to an end. We have to understand our eternal existence. Najayate, that's the verse from Bhagavad. Najayate, yeah. Mriyate, Vakadachin. Very good. That's the only one. One of the only ones I learned. Yeah. For the soul, there's never birth nor death. Najayate. It's glorious. Najayate, Mriyate, Vakadachin. We need to understand that. In the Brahma Samhita, which is the Vyananta Sutra, uh, this inquiry is called Brahma Jignasa. What is that, the middle of the next paragraph? Yes, okay. Atato Brahma Jignasa. In other words, we have to understand our spiritual existence. The fact that we are not a sat, we are sat. We're eternal. 
So in order to get that, that knowledge is called Brahma-jignasa, knowledge of our spiritual existence. And the beginning of human life is not when you get a Rolls Royce. It's not when you marry the most beautiful actress. It's not when you get the biggest bank balance. It's not when you're Muhammad Ali and can defeat everybody. All those things are nice, but they're not human. According to Bhagavad Gita. According to the Vedanta Sutra, the Brahma Sutra, human life begins when we ask, Atato Brahma Jignasa. Who am I? And what is my true nature? That's the beginning of human life. All these other things, it's not much different than that animals live. We have special intelligence. We have consciousness when it comes to the ripened stage in the human form, then we can ask this question. If we use this nice consciousness and intelligence and mind that comes in the human form to simply be better at eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, which are the four propensities of every living entity, every living entity is eating, every living entity is sleeping, Every living entity is reproducing and every living entity is fearful. So they're defending their position. I want to keep my job. I want to keep the, you know, the lion from attacking and killing me. I, I want to keep that nation from invading my nation. I'm afraid that somebody's going to take what I have away from me. I have to defend it no matter what it is. With this body... There has to be defense of the body because the body is what? A sot. Right. It's temporary. Therefore, I'm afraid because I don't know what? I don't know. I'm eternal. Atato Brahma Jignasa means let me ask who I am. That is the beginning of human life. And the first thing we understand when that inquiry is made that we're Satchitananda. We're eternal, full of knowledge and bliss. It's the beginning of Vedanta Sutra gives us this knowledge. This is the preliminary. The jayate mriyate vakadachin. For the soul, there's never birth nor death. Ever existing. Eternal. And Prabhupada, in the next paragraph, he makes, a, uh, he makes an interesting comment I, I just wanted to bring out. He says, actually... We are all swallowed by the tigress of nescience. The tigress of nescience. What's nescience? Ignorance. Ignorance. It just means I don't know. I don't know who I am. I don't know my spiritual existence. Therefore, the tigress of nescience, of my ignorance, is attacking me. The tigress of nescience means it's all here. It's our ignorance. There's nothing outside that's going to harm us. Everything that's going to harm us is here. For those that went to my class on John Mostomy, that was the focus of the class. That was the point, that there's nothing to fear but fear itself. 
There's nothing outside of us that can harm us. All the harm comes at our own hand. And what is that harm? Our ignorance. We never ask. Atato Brahma Jignasa. Now we're going to go on to the five subjects of Bhagavad Gita. Five main subjects. So those subjects, the subject of the Bhagavad Gita entails the comprehension of five basic truths. One, the living entity. You, me, the dog, the cat, the mouse, the little germs, the big demigods. First subject of Bhagavad Gita, the living entity. Second subject, Isvara, the controller of the living entities. Who's that? God, Krishna, yeah. All the living entities are there, and there's God. Third, material nature, this environment. Krishna explains that in Bhagavad Gita, remember? He says, there's these two energies of mind. One is the living entity, and then there's the inferior power of mind, material nature. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego, all these are my separated material energies. In addition to that, there's another energy of mind, which are all the living entities who are living in this energy and exploiting it for their own enjoyment. Fourth item, time. If there wasn't time, without the time factor to put the material energy into motion, what is the question of anything taking place? Everything on this plane of material existence happens according to the motion of time. Just step back and turn time off. What happens? Time is eternal. We're going to find out one of these five. Of these five items, four of them are eternal. And one is not. Time. Imagine turning time off. Turn time off. Stop. No activity. No activity. No movement. No involvement in material life. No body. No nothing. Everything in this material plane works under the influence of another energy of Krishna. So, we have the Supreme Iswara, the Supreme Controller, and we have what? We have his separated jivas, parts and parcels. We have his material nature, and we have his time factor. So those are four items. And when you mix them all up and throw them in together, what's the next item? Karma. Karma. Action and reaction in time. Some good action, some bad action. Wow, we've broken down this material world. Everything in it is covered in Bhagavad Gita. God, us, His external energy how the external energy moves under his direction of time 
And what happens in that whole environment? Karma. Now, is uh, time only in one direction? Yeah. It only goes forward. Yeah. I don't know of time going backward. Do you? But, you, know, when you I mean, maybe in the movies. In a spiritual sense, you know. Sure, they can go different directions. There's no time in, 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 in spirituality. spirituality. So in the material plane, it's all relative. So, yeah. Time is on the material plane. It's part, it's part, it's now then, then we really begin to contemplate what is spirituality of, you know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we'll get into that. Once we advance, we'll understand what that Leela is like. Those activities on the spiritual platform, they're recurring as if they exist in time, but it's not this time. This time, in this time, on this plane, what's the result of the influence of time? Death. Asat. Everything comes to an end. Yes, death. Asat. Why? It's not eternal. Right. It's not eternal. The time factor makes everything temporary. Maya Dakshina Prakriti Suyate Chachara This material nature is working under my direction. All these different energies are working because of my influence. I am the source of all of it. I'm the source of the living entities. I'm the source of the material ingredients. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, all false ego. I am the source of time. Maya Dakshina. This material energy is working under my direction. So Krishna gives that. Now the jivas, that's us, or the living entities, all of us living things, whether we're little teeny bodies of an ant, or big bodies of Brahma, big ethereal bodies made up primarily of intelligence. Our bodies made up primarily of water. Higher demigods, their bodies are primarily of just big intelligence. So the depictions that we see are, are like the four-headed Brahma. Uh, is that kind of a metaphorical no, picture there? No, we should never look, never look at the knowledge of Vedas. Uh, it's not, meta, me, not a well, metaphor. Well, I'm talking about the picture. Because if you say primarily intelligence, then... There's still form. Okay. There's still form. All right. There's substance there. All right. That isn't to say that the demigods and the higher, the, the very advanced yogis, yeah. their forms are very subtle. They, can, they have all mystic opulences. They can change right. their form at the whim right. that they desire to be. Mother Bhumi, who is the earth, takes on a personified form and looks like a cow. Right. So that we can perceive her. So that we can interact with her. But she's Mother Earth. It's kind of interesting. Like it's a person. Mother Earth is a person, right. but she can change her form so that you and I can milk her. And can, yes? Are the demigods not qualified to enter the spiritual world? No, of course they're qualified. Okay, they're just doing it as a service? That's their duty in material life. They're, they're Krishna's topmost servitors in the universe, and therefore they're given positions of responsibility. Brahma is the topmost, most pious living entity. But I've heard Prabhupada writing that they're to attach to material or something like that. 
they're attached to their service. And so, unfortunately, because of their prestigious position in material energy, their spiritual life is generally put on hold. Although they engage in spiritual activities, they know who Krishna is, they constantly worship Krishna, that, that yearning to be in a loving relationship just with Krishna is superseded by the responsibilities at hand. And sometimes that gets them into trouble. But we should never see them as not extremely advanced spiritual personalities. But because of responsibilities, they at this time generally don't take a real interest in ending their material existence. First of all, they got it too good. <laughs> not like us on this earthly plane where everything is short-lived and miserable and out of our control, they're in control of it all. So the, the, their life is practically eternal compared to ours. And because of that and their, and, their, and their responsibilities, it gets the better of their intelligence, yes. It's a fact. It's not an enviable, enviable position for one aspiring for complete spiritual absorption. You understand? Complete spiritual absorption is so complete that even desiring liberation, as Lord Chaitanya gives in Chaksastika, is not a desire of the spiritualist. So we can't say the desire for liberation because we're, we're taught under the toolage of the Goswamis that we shouldn't even desire liberation. We just want to love Krishna purely. Liberation from the material plane? That's okay. That's okay to desire. Yes, I want to be liberated from the material from material involvement that keeps me away from serving Krishna a hundred percent. I want to come to that platform, a high pratiyata. So all these energies are working under Krishna. Karma. Karma is the last thing, that activity within this material plane. So now the jivas or the living entities be, have been accepted by the Lord as we will note in the later chapters, as his parts and parcels. The living entities in this material world are my amsas, my little particles. Amsa means infinitesimal, but we're still spiritual. A particle of gold is also gold. A drop of water from the ocean is of the same salty, nature as the ocean. And similarly, we the living entities, Prabhupada writes, being part and parcel of the supreme controller Isvara or Bhagavan, Lord Shri Krishna, have all the qualities of the supreme Lord in minute quantity. What are those six qualities? Bhagavan's six qualities. Wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. These are the six characteristics. We have them. In minute qualities. Well, he had, Krishna has a big, as far as he has a lot of them, we have a little teeny bit. We're all a little famous. We're all a little beautiful. We all have a little bit of strength. Now, when we come into our spiritual, when we're purified of, of the asat, that little bit is a lot. The pure living entities in the transcendental platform 
have more power, beauty, knowledge, renunciation than thousands of universes. Inconceivable. Yeah. The material energy must be so dense for us, for all of that magnificence to be covered. It is. I mean, it must be like just uncovered a little bit. Dense. Look, just look at what happens when you uncover it just a little bit. You get all these mystic powers, mystic cities. That's just a little bit of uncovering. Yeah. Have all the qualities of the Supreme Lord in minute quantity because we are minute isvaras or subordinate isvaras. Isvara means controller. There's the big controller who controls it all. And then there's us. And we're also isvaras. Our range of control, very limited. What is that? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. That's Krishna's Iswara. What do we have in our hand? Well, we have our job, we have our family, our pets, maybe our children, probably not. (laughs) So, what's our range of control? Very limited. Krishna's unlimited. He can squeeze his hand and the whole universe can collapse. We can squeeze our hand and no one even notices. Of these five items, five items are God, the Supreme Iswara, our cells, the Jiva, Prakriti, material nature, time, and karma. Of those five, four are eternal. Which one isn't? Which one is not? Yes. Which one is not eternal? Yes. Karma. Right. Karma. Why? Because we obliterate karma once we become. You free. can change it. Yes. Karma is temporary. The others, they those potencies, yeah. those shaktis, those energies of the supreme Lord are eternal. Of course, God's eternal. The living entity is eternal. This material nature. It's eternal. Although it's manifested and unmanifested, it still exists eternally. And time is eternal because it never ends. It's never ending. So the Jiva souls are polyphonally conditioned, but, and so that they're entangled with the material nature eternally unless they become a devotee, right? And then they're what? Eternally liberated. Once you're relieved of this material nature then that's an eternal position. Once going there, they never come back. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, never returns. Once going there, they never come back to this plane. 